Hey, and welcome to Future Shift, where we understand the world better by discussing changing and emerging industries. I'm Jacob Pratt, and today we're talking about education. Education is broad. Learning is fundamental from birth, helping babies everywhere to realise that almost nothing should go up our nose, and teaching adult men that low, low v-necks are not right for any occasion. And in a world where the internet enables us to learn almost anything, what should we be learning? With VR, iPads, eye-tracking technology, how is best for us to learn? And without going into existential territory, why learn at all? This is a big area and everyone will have their own very personal answers to these questions. Technology is helping us learn faster in some areas than ever before. But I wanted to start as broad as I possibly could. Our brains learn best in childhood. So I wanted to explore the views of two people who worked in this area. Two teachers, one having recently retired and one just beginning their teaching journey. So I picked up the phone to my dad and my brother. Yeah, I grew, I grew up in New Zealand, born in 1950, and stayed in New Zealand until I was 30 years old. I left New Zealand in 1981 to travel with my brother through Asia and arrived in the UK in 1981, originally for one year, but I'm still here, 40, almost 40 years later. I'm not sure what, what went wrong. <laughs> That's Dennis Pratt primary school teacher and my dad. With a wealth of experience in the field, having taught on the opposite sides of the globe, I asked him some questions about his experiences in New Zealand before coming to the UK. So so, you, so what were you doing for those kind of uh, 10 years after you started teaching college still in New Zealand? Well, when I was in New Zealand, I trained in Dunedin from 72 to 74. Actually, we were one of the last intakes where we were paid a salary to be a student. So I was actually paid a wage for three years. But what it meant was that you had to then work for three years. So, you know, you and you were expected to go to places that lots of other people didn't want to go to. So my first year, I went to a place called Hokitika. On the west coast of the South Island, and I taught there for a year, which was an absolutely amazing place. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was like the Wild West in some ways. <laughs> there was very strict opening hours and closing hours in, in the rest of New Zealand, but on the west coast, they did what they wanted to do. So how how big was Hokitika? Because I mean I'm I remember it having been there a few times. It's quite small. I suppose it was about five thousand people, right on the coast. Or well, how how many people were you teaching? Oh yeah, oh yeah, that was about thirty. So it was quite a large class, and I had a prefab which was outside of the main main building. And I can remember I can remember actually we 
we uh, wanted to paint the classroom because it was really drab inside. We wanted to paint it bright colours. So I can remember one weekend, parents came along, children came along, and we actually painted the classroom. It was good fun. Dennis first tour in a small town on the west coast of New Zealand with a community that you are unlikely to find in present day UK. But I knew he had done a bit more than that before travelling across the world and wanted to know how it had affected his teaching. Well, well how, how long were you in the teaching business for overall? Well, I had some breaks. I, um, I had a few, few breaks when, when I tra- travelled around. So I suppose I've taught for about 30 years. Mm. Wow, okay. For about 30 years on and off. I, I was a house husband for a while, well, I would call at home looking after the children and mm. then spent a bit of time in Australia doing different jobs. So I think that was important as well. Mm-hmm having different life experiences. Mm. What uh, what kind of other experiences did you have and how did they like help enrich your teaching? Well, I <laughs> when I was younger, I had a bit of time possum hunting. Possum hunting? Yeah, well, possums in New Zealand are vermin. The possums kind of eat everything in the trees. So they, they denude the trees and the deer eat everything on the ground mm. so that it's it's it really is infecting the, the 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 land the environment in new zealand so i did that for a while and then i worked on the when i was in australia i worked on the roads mm-hmm. which was quite quite good fun digging drains and pouring concrete and stuff like that which was quite interesting i also taught in australia i taught in darwin for about six months which was fun yeah and a real experience <laughs> <laughs> Why was that? Um, well, my brother and I were up in Darwin. We drove from um, Adelaide through Cooper PD up through Alice Springs to Darwin, which took about a week, which was, <laughs> oh, that was great fun. Um, Alice Springs in those days was a really interesting place and um, not as developed as, as it is now. And we just had a great, great time. Went through Cooper PD, remember that. And... Um, I can tell from the smile on your face. Maybe there's some things you don't want to, you don't want to fully share. Oh yeah, well there's some things you you wouldn't quite say. Um, uh, you wouldn't want them broadcast. But it was a very in- in- interesting time actually. Um, we also did some cleaning up there, as a part time job as well. We, hmm. we were cleaning the police station up there and pulled out a drawer once, and there was a a revolver with all the bullets and so on. Whoa, that was news to me. Yeah, in those days in Darwin, you could, um, this is the late 70s, you could go into the petrol station, fill up your car and have a beer at the same time. There's a little, kind of like a bar there, where you could put your can on and thank God, goodness that that's all, all changed now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so I've, I've done a few different jobs besides teaching, but teaching has been my main vocation, my, my main job. So Dennis had had a few interesting experiences before starting teaching proper, first in New Zealand and then Australia. But I was eager to understand how these experiences had influenced why he thought education was important and what education was at all. So I asked him about this time in Hokitika.
but 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 I had a wonderful life there because it it um I met different people, different ways of thinking, which I think is about what education's about. Hmm. People there had a yeah okay, the government is saying this, but we actually think that perhaps we, we'll do it this way, and um, hmm. they don't they didn't always agree with 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 authorities and or with the authority, and um, so it was a different lifestyle over there. Hmm. A little bit, a little bit of the wild west. So when you're saying kind of what you see education as, as you know, kind of understanding other people's ways of thinking, what else, like what else do you kind of think of as education? When when I went to college in you know seventy two seventy four, we we were encouraged to develop a philosophy a philosophy of education, mm. which I don't think that students do this do, do these days. Mm. For example, to me. Education was all about developing, of course, you know, your ability in reading, writing and maths. But it was also developing the whole person, Hmm. developing a person's skills, their talents, their belief in themselves, developing their confidence, giving children space and experiences to grow themselves, not just to take on facts. Education to me is not just about facts. It's also very importantly about helping children develop to become adults, to give them the opportunities to find out who they are and what is their role in an ever-changing society. And of course, it's continued to change at a faster pace as, as, we, well, as I grow older anyway. Hmm. So how can we help children and adults to prosper, adapt and, and, and do very well in our ever-evolving and changing society. Mm. So it sounds like you feel like it's more about nurturing each person to become the kind of best version of themselves that they can be. And also believing in certain values like tolerance and understanding. Mm. Democracy, of course. I think that's very important, being able to listen to other people, being listened to as well, and having empathy for, for... the people around you, your environment, everything in general, actually. Already, I was brought into thinking about education in a different way. We weren't talking about maths and sciences, but about empathy and understanding other cultures. We were talking about people. I talked to Lewis Pratt my brother to get another view on the matter yeah i'm just doing the sound so i'm all like just lying on the bed yeah (laughs) yeah he was pretty relaxed a pe teacher in secondary schools lewis is nearer the beginning of his career and i asked him about why he got involved in teaching and what he thinks education is about So PE, PE, I suppose that's my that's the passion. So that's the thing that I, mm. yeah, that my my drive is. I think it's it's incredibly important. Just for it's sort of no secret that obesity is becoming an issue, mm-hmm. particularly in children. So I think the big thing in the schools is how we educate the kids, mm. uh, specifically PE. We're trying to you know educate them on the importance of uh, lifelong involvement in sport, healthy lifestyles, the importance of actually. Yeah, being active and staying healthy because 
as you get through life, as I'm sure people like Dad will tell you. Yeah. Yeah, your health's the most important thing. And mm. I think it I think at school if you don't set habits and educate the kids on how important it is and how to maintain a healthy lifestyle or what's important, mm-hmm. then yeah, then yeah, I suppose yeah, we've got no hope, have we? And it's not gonna it's not gonna get anywhere. So from a yeah. PE perspective, I think I think that is the image of schools what we do um and then i suppose the the second thing is there was sort of a, a safe place for a lot of kids and a lot of their sort of life life skills and life learning are probably learned at school i think we were quite so as we're quite lucky all the people that we know all of the upbringing that we had you've got role models all around you that sort of put you on the right path mm. sort of teach you what is what's right and wrong educate you that way get you through life but for a lot of kids i think it's probably becoming more prevalent now in deprived areas a lot of kids don't get that at home mm. uh, they don't have the role models they don't have uh sort of a safe environment where they can learn so i think that's a bit schools are playing a big part in that nowadays so it's not you know obviously the, the sort of the standard education is important you know get your maths get your science get your english etc mm. but i think schools now are probably yeah probably doubling up as yeah sort of that's that safe space and allowing kids to grow and flourish and things again the focus wasn't on specific curriculums theorems or formulas but on developing a more healthy well-rounded person people first quadratic equations second so, if the early years of learning was about understanding and working with people, what did teachers need to know to support children? And your ability to, to help others. Well, I, well, I think it's, it's as a teacher, you you've got to realise we don't live in a, a mono culture. You know, I came from Dunedin, which was in in, in the fifties, very much a mono culture in the sense of it was a Scottish city. There were probably other cultures there, but they weren't to the fore as they are now. And I always knew that because I read, a, when I was younger, I used to read Time magazine and Newsweek, and I was very interested in the news. I knew what was going on around me. I knew all about American politics and British politics, European politics. And of course, we were living through the Cold War. so living in very interesting times and I've never lost my fascination with what's going on in the world. Hmm. And I think as a teacher, it's very important to realize that the children you are teaching come from very different backgrounds, come from very different experiences. You know, there are homes where the child is loved and cared for and so on, but there are other homes where the child comes into school and that child is hungry. Perhaps that child hasn't had a bath or a shower or just just realising that all children come from different experiences, from different backgrounds. And I think as teachers, educators, we all need to be very aware of this and very under understanding and open. But we need to be very accepting. So how are some of the ways that you can foster this curiosity and and help children learn about other cultures? Dennis suggested trips, 
which despite being a logistical nightmare of having 30 kids roaming around the city, was well worth it. But, oh. but it worked, and we were able to get the children out, to get out into the community, into the wider community, and I think have new experiences. I think it's very important to get out and not just be in school all the time. Mm. And you can do it if you you can do it if you, if you can just be a wee bit more in, innovative mm. and willing. Mm. So I think you know, education is not just about the three R's. It's also about developing the child, building up their confidence, ch challenging ch children to do better, working as a team in the school for, for children. Mm. All that is very, you know, they talk about a well-rounded child. child. I think that's very important. But you need well-rounded educators as well. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think that's equally important to deliver that. Okay. And so what, What? Uh, first of all, what, what were the three R's what, when you said that? Well, well, we say re reading, writing, and arithmetic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, education is so much more now. I mean, this is one of the challenges, isn't it? Because you're, you're educating children now for two or three jobs, perhaps four jobs during their lifetime. You know, education never stops. Mm -hmm. If you want to, if you want to do well in life, and you want to, and do well in life, that's not just materially, but also become a well-rounded, happy, contented person. We all need to be able to adapt and change, and I suppose that's especially now with with COVID nineteen, um, especially so. We need to be able to adapt to new circumstances. Hmm. Education never stops. So, if we are always learning, maybe it's more important to build the foundations of a well-rounded, adaptable human being over building someone skilled in the three R's that aren't really R's. I asked Lewis on his thoughts on how education had adapted since the coronavirus lockdown and to crystallise his thoughts on what education was about. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that since lockdowns happened, that if you, you know, you might, you might have noticed, but there's been a massive push mm. for, all of those, for all of those sorts of things that aren't traditional. Traditionally, everyone sort of schools are traditionally and they always, you know, they'll always be judged rightly or wrongly on can they get kids through to get five C's in, you know, English, math, science, mm. and things like that. But, you know, since the sort of the lockdown, there's a bit more of a, a push in terms of what they're trying to get kids to do. So there's obviously there's a lot of encouragement in terms of cooking, art, being creative, mm. you know, like making all the NHS signs for the windows, things like that. And there's a massive push on the the Joe Wicks PE thing where he's just trying to get. Yeah. Um, so hopefully there might be there might be a bit of a change because they're always the subjects that I think have traditionally been underfunded or underappreciated. Yeah, or... Under, underfunded. Yeah, underfunded. That's all. But yeah, it is. It's about school in general. It's just about the whole the whole yeah the whole thing. I don't think it's a lot of schools' opinion. I've only been teaching for three years, but from what I've seen, a lot of you get a lot of schools that are just like exam factories mm. and they just they get the kids in 
they teach them how to pass the exams. Yeah. The kids leave with really good grades and it looks good for everyone. So, yeah, that's sort of, that, you know, that's, that's my view of what some of the schools are like. So it is all about, yeah, the whole kid and yeah, yeah. developing everything. So clearly education was about more than I had initially thought and was changing faster than I had anticipated. But I wanted to understand how it had changed in the last 40 years to understand whether this really was a new shift and where the future shift lay. So what did you find as the challenges as you kind of moved through your teaching career? What different challenges kind of came up towards the end of your career that weren't there at the start? Well, one of the things was the the government bringing in the national curriculum. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it, some parts were very, very important. It, very important that children can learn to read. Very important that children learn to write. Very important that 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 that, that children understand and are able to handle numeracy, literacy. All that is very, very important. But that, in my opinion, they narrowed the curriculum down in, in some parts far too much. And you never had time for art or enough time for art. You never had enough time for drama. You never had, had enough time for free play. You never had enough time for school trips. Mm-hmm. So it, it was just the overemphasis on the basics, what they would call the basics, which are very, without a doubt, are very, very important. But it, but it sounds like they lost like the emphasis on discovery, on learning from new experiences and different experiences. Yeah, I think so. I, I think I think I think they did. I definitely think they did. And I think they they need to now look at like Finland, where children don't go to school till they're is it seven or eight. They when when they do go to school, they're not taught to read in the first or second year. They're allowed to play, hmm. and a lot of it, 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 we put far too much pressure on children at a far too early age. You know, you're teaching children. If you have a home like with you and your your brother, we all, you were surrounded by books. I I read your stories. Your mum read your stories. You both learned to read naturally, hmm. probably before before you went to school, but. Many children don't have that opportunity. Books are not the bread and butter in the household like they are, say, in, in our house, in many houses. Hmm. You know, children's books are just part of everyday life. And stories are part of your life. You read a story when you go to bed and so on. But hmm. many children don't have that. There's not that kind of culture in that in their, in their family. So they miss out. So and you think school is a good chance to foster that? that curiosity and kind of wonder for stories and reading and writing, not just the basic maths and whatever. Yeah, well, I think school's definitely about that. And that's one of the very important roles that school has. There are many, unfortunately, there are too many children in, in, our, in our communities that they're missing out hmm. because it might be that they come to school. Well, for example, it might be that the parent or the parents are unemployed hmm. or they're living in an area that's that that's got poor housing or they haven't got 
enough food to put on their plates. And I think school has to provide these experiences for children to develop social mm. mobility, to develop you know, a more equal opportunities in life. Education is, is, is not the same. You know, you're not going to give every child the same education, but too many children have not got access to good quality education. Often that's not the fault of the schools. It's the fault of, well, the, the schools have it there, but the children are coming into school and they're not prepared. They're hungry. Mm-hmm. I think that that is one of the, of the t- challenges today, that not every child has access to to the quality of education that is that is available to me, to many children. So education isn't the same worldwide, with Finland starting school at age seven, but landing above the UK in the most recent education review across reading, writing and science. Link in the description. These are affected by a huge number of factors, but the education system is likely to be an important one. And locally, the environment around a child outside school is hugely important. I asked Dennis a bit more about whether teaching would continue to change and how that would affect different children. It's what you mean by education. Education is evolving now. And I think it needs to continue to evolve. Is it all going to be classroom-based? Is there going to be more independent learning, like using Zoom and, and, and similar platforms? But of course, if you come from a, a disadvantaged background as a child and your parent or parents, your family are suffering for whatever reason, you, you're not going to be too interested in um, using Zoom and other things. It's more about survival. So I think the government need, really needs to think this through. I know we're getting political here, but it really is. It really, we need, it's a bigger picture than just education. Education is linked to social mobility. It's linked to poverty. It's linked to housing. It's linked to what is going on out there. It's, it's linked, I'm sure it's linked to culture and race. I wanted to ask Lewis about the same thoughts on whether inequality would be heightened by technology. So I did. Do you see like technology changing it in any way? Yeah, I think there's, I think there will be a massive, I think it's already going that way. I think lockdown has sort of accelerated it because everyone is having now to learn how to do stuff virtually. Mm. So I think computers will play a huge, a huge role in where we're going. I think things like, so our school, we've got a virtual reality suite. Um, Oh, wow. So... So a lot of the kids get to experience sort of a VR, yeah, VR thing, and they'll get to play around, create sort of programs for it, and mm. things like that. Uh, it's even though you know we don't use it every day mm. as a lesson, but yeah, the tech is there to do that. Cool. Um, lots of uh, in PE, not not necessarily in our school, but I just know as a sort of general PE bracket is there's, there's loads of stuff around kids now using VR codes, uh, QR codes even, not VR codes. Oh, yeah the, um, yeah, the things you put in camera. Yeah, so, like, the, you know, we'll be doing a sport. There'll be, like, five, say there'll be five uh, iPads available. If the kids want to need to look at a video to see how to do a certain technique, 
they can take the thing, they can scan the QR code and it comes up with a, you know, like a YouTube video of how to do, mm. you know, how to do the high, how to do the high jump or how to do a javelin and things like that. So that's, yeah. that's used. I suppose where it's accessible. Yeah. People are trying to do that. So I do think there's a, I think there's a massive, or there's going to be a big shift in, in sort of that way. I think the potential problem to that is it will make, it will make the rich and the poor gap even bigger because I know, I know for a fact, you know, there's, there's certain schools that just have not, there's just no chance that they could get a computer yeah. for every kid or, or yeah. a laptop or a, an iPad for every child. Whereas, you know, some of the schools that I've worked at, that's sort of the norm. So mm. every kid's got, you know, every kid's got their own thing. So yeah, that's one of the, I suppose, one of the potential problems. So technology is going to change the way we learn and the way we teach. Could it get to the point where some children, through choice or necessity, are taught completely without humans? Are teachers even needed? I think teaching is one of the one of the professions where you still need uh, you still need that that human contact. Mm. Just because I just think it is. I think you t- I think kids kids need to be taught basically by by people. I think a lot of schools and a lot of good schools are based around the pupils and the teachers having a good relationship. Mm. And that's how, that's what gets the, that's what gets the kids to to work harder is when they know that the teachers care about them and, and they actually want to, they want to achieve for the, the teacher as opposed to, you know, more than anything. So I think, yeah, I can't, I can't see teaching being, you know, being sort of overtaken and robots being used yeah (laughs) Lewis had hit on a key point about why children learn it seems to not always be for the love of maths and innate want to be an astronaut or an intrinsic motivation it can be based on the very human relationship between a student and their teacher helping them to reach the best of their abilities And so for anyone wanting to learn something, with or without that extrinsic motivation, I had one last question for Lewis. Uh, I was going to ask, how how have you found that you've learned best from, like, uh, how to teach? Oh, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. I basically, I was, I mean, I was literally this year, I was literally just, I was chucked in and it was just like, right, here you go. We had a department of four and this is my first full year sort of, my head of department was off for about four months, maybe less, maybe three months. We then had another member of staff who was off for about eight weeks. So there was just me and me and this other other women who were just doing the PE. For how many um, kids? Roughly. Well, for the whole school. Yes, we've got about a thousand kids. <laughs> uh, so, so I was, I mean, it was literally like, I was literally just chucked in and I was like running the boys, the boys side of the PE and uh, just trying to organise it all. So it was absolutely, honestly, it was absolutely bonkers. But, <laughs> yeah. but that's just, that's just the, 
yeah, I just sort of did it. It was like sink or swim. Mm. But... Just do it. Not only a famous slogan, but something we could all learn from. If we want to learn, we don't always have to find the optimal way to do it. We just have to make a start. So for any new teachers wanting to join this tough industry, what was the advice of someone who had over 30 years of experience? Okay. And so if you were going to give one piece of advice to a new teacher starting out, um, you know, wherever it may be, what would what would you say to them? Oh, dear me. Um, what would I, say to them? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, would, I, I would say, look, this is this is a most fantastic job a fantastic work to be have the privilege to work with with children young and older children they have the privilege to work with caring adults as well i would say listen to your children speak to them talk to them Listen to adults around you. I mean, I found that some of the younger teachers coming through had absolutely—they were just amazing. Abs- I had so much to learn from them. As I think, when I started off, I had really fantastic ideas and so on, and, I, and it, we worked in innovative ways. Well, as I became an older teacher, I, some of the younger teachers who were coming in were just absolutely amazing. They would have certain problems with certain children, which would go. You know, the way they dealt with it in a very creative way was absolutely amazing. And that is what education is about. It is working in creative, intelligent ways with children, listening to your children, children listening to you, working with adults around you. You are a team. You're never on your own. Enjoy it. I would say enjoy it. But the most important thing you do have is yourself hmm. and the people around you. It's, it's all about relating to people, having a lot of empathy for pe- for children and the people around you. Hmm. That no matter kind of what tools you give kind of children, actually, it's probably the support you give them kind of as a, as a human being and helping them through whatever they're doing, understanding what tools are best best for them as well that's going to help them learn. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, one of the biggest things, if you can if you can get a child to believe in themselves and you can build up their confidence, well, you can do anything almost. The focus of my conversations on education had been less on the technology supporting learning in schools and more on the way that schools help children grow and develop as human beings. Teachers can provide role models where they are absent elsewhere, and help children in more ways than I had even thought about. But I'd also learned about this. 
do all those things that, which, that, that I've been talking about. And also another thing, one thing that we learned, which was a good thing about the national curriculum, we continued to learn. We were always going on courses. We were always being challenged. We were always coming up with new ideas. For example, I went on a dance course, PE dance course, and I used to do this dance, which was held by this guy. He was like a butcher, great big guy. But that is a story for another time. And next week, we'll be covering stories from the world of teaching in the future short. The week after that, we'll be looking outside of schools, how we continue to learn as adults and non-traditional ways of learning. You can follow Future Shift on Instagram, where additional visual content is provided at future underscore shift and online at jproduct.co.uk forward slash future shift. Thanks for listening. Speak to you soon. Thanks to Dennis and Lewis Pratt for this episode. It was inspiring speaking to both of you about this beyond our usual Zoom quiz. Thanks to Tom Bell for the intro jingle used in this and the previous episode that I forgot to credit you for. And thanks to Tom and Paddy Tesh for providing feedback on the initial episode, helping to shape this podcast for the better. More feedback is always welcome.